Welcome to another episode of Unprofessional. I'm Jamie Newberry, and across the United States of America, we have one Mr. Dave Whiskus. Hello, Jamie. Hey, Dave. How are you today? I am excellent. How are you? Fantastic. Back Yay. to fantastic. So we have, we have a guest today, and I, I bet you'd like to uh, make an introduction of this guest. I, way, to, way to pass the responsibility off on me. <laughs> Like, I, like I don't doing feel that. like doing I'm sh- it. It's sharing responsibility, Dave. Not passing, sharing. I, I guess. I guess. Our very special guest this week: the return of the magnificent, the lovable, the ineffable, Renee Ritchie. Yay! There is no way I can live up to that introduction, Dave. <laughs> I don't know that the introduction can live up to you. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in conversations with people where your name came up, and and the entire room turned to. How great Renee Ritchie is. <laughs> wow. What a nice guy. What a Glowing. friendly person. Glowing. Dave is the best if, thing ever happened to my self-esteem. If you were an <laughs> app, you'd be a solid average five stars. <laughs> nice. I wouldn't get past review, but if I ever did, I'd get five stars. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Now, do you see why I share the responsibility of introduction, Dave? Because I go so over the top? It, no, because you make our guests feel delightful. Oh. Or at least Renee. Yeah, just <laughs> the others I make feel so-so. <laughs> just just okay. All right, so Renee, for those of our listeners who don't know you or did not listen to your previous episode on this show, uh, which was entitled Bamf or Snicked, which I maintain might be the best episode title ever, uh, t- explain to the audience who you are. Um, I run a website focused on Apple called iMore, and I do a lot of podcasts, uh, many of which Dave has been kind enough to, to, to grace. <laughs> this is far from our first podcast experience together. Yeah, actually, you were kind enough to come on Vector last week. Yeah, and this isn't even related to that. No. This was this was uh, this wasn't like a, a, a washing each other's back sort of. There thing. was no quid pro quo. It was so great to talk to you that when I realized that I had my wires crossed for the guest this week and we didn't have a guest this week, you were you were my emergency contact. I molted you. Yeah, we were. <laughs> I thought I need to get somebody on here. Who can I Fast. get last minute that I know will be good? And you were the first name I thought of. Oh, I, I appreciate it. I'm sitting in a hotel room waiting for Macworld to start, so I was delighted to spend it in a <laughs> conversation with you and Jamie. I, I apologize, Jamie. I'm going to call you Jamie Jamie a couple times because I really know you from that Twitter name. <laughs> That's all right. I am used to it. I actually, it, it works great. So no I always worries. think of the Weezer song. And every time I say that, Jamie says, which Weezer song? <laughs> <laughs> which Weezer song, Dave? The one entitled Jamie. <laughs> as well-versed in Weezer as I am. The chorus is just him saying, well, the first two words of the chorus are Jamie, Jamie, which is why it gets stuck in my head. So look it up. I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) I'll do it. All right. They will cover it in a future episode. We've not yet met in person that I know of, Renee. I I thought we had, but... Uh Uh-oh. It's it's all right. It's all right. I apologize. I feel dreadful now. And I was going to say, I apologize if, if we have, and I just have no memory. I've done that before, and it's terribly embarrassing. I don't know when you guys would have met. I was gonna say, yeah, I really, I have never been to Singleton, so if that was the instance you were recalling, that was not no. me. Well, uh, Renee's usually there at Macworld, and so there's that, and WWDC, but usually Which, when, when there, I see Renee yeah. at those things, you, you're also there, but you're at different things. Yeah, it's very possible that we cross paths or, yeah, or whatever at one of those, because I, I have been to a couple of those Macworlds and uh, WWDCs, but anyway... We don't want to talk about work, though. We have no, more important things work, to talk but, about. 
I do want to. I do want to point out that it's it's interesting to note that uh, Renee, I think, is the only person, or one of only two or three people I know who are at MacWorld this year. Ah, <laughs> oh. one of only two or three people I know that are at MacWorld. <laughs> at MacWorld, year. there are only two or three people there. It turned into kind of a, a thing. I'm not. I don't want to say ghost town because I'm sure it's doing just fine. But it's interesting that so many of our our friends and colleagues decided not to go this year. I think it might have been just a time schedule thing. I know I was bugging Guy English, mutual friend Guy English, about that, and he said, "Well, it's late in the year, and I'm going there in June already for WWDC, and I have Ool, and I have these other things planned." Yeah. So. I was going to say, it is late in the year, isn't it? Normally early in the year. Like yeah, it's usually January, January or the first week of February. That's yeah. what I thought. They've been moving it later on and later on in the year. And it's still it's mostly a big fan event now where they have people, people, members of the Apple community who come. So I don't know if it makes a difference to them in terms of the expo. Yeah, probably the, the conference suffers for that. But I think yeah, I'm sure the fine. conference. Well, I'm sure the conference suffers because they can't get the same level of speakers that they used to be able to get in past years. Like Steve Jobs introducing the original iPhone. Well, no, I mean, the, the conference part, even just like the technical talks or the, the those sessions. Um a lot of the, I guess the Macworld staff people are still going to be there, right? Yeah, and in some ways it's nice now because Apple casts such a big shadow over the show and now all these little companies uh, and interesting people have a chance to really show off their stuff instead of everyone just blowing past them for the Apple things. Yeah. Now, we're we're deep into dangerous levels of the talk show here, but... <laughs> So I, I apologize for that. But it's it's just interesting to me, socially, the way things have kind of shifted. And because there's so many conferences now, we sort of, we pick and choose the, the, the big dots on the Pac-Man board rather than going to every little dot. Also, I must say, Dave, without you being here, I have no idea what bars to go to at night now. Aw, just stay in your room and drink out of the mini bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for later in the night. That's not how you start the night. <laughs> start, yeah, okay, well... Just as long as it ends with you drunk at the minibar uh, FaceTiming me. Yes, I'll do that. That would be, that'd be really Perfect. funny. That's can you that record FaceTime? Is that... I don't think you can. You need, we need an app for that. Uh, maybe you can pump it through Reflector on your Mac and then screen capture that. Or, well, there you go. <laughs> Those would be hilarious. Drunken FaceTimes. FaceTimes from last night. Why won't you answer? Shit FaceTime. <laughs> Dave, there's an app idea worth millions right there. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, how do you turn it like one night stand into FaceTime? Like, Wait, what? Like a one night stand, but for FaceTime. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to think of a name here. So I'm brainstorming oh, oh, I, out loud. I thought, you were, I thought you were saying that there was like an already an app called no, Night that I had no, not no, heard no, of. No, no, Oh, okay. I'm okay. helping you here. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that was probably Chat Roulette, but Apple banned it. They banned everything fun. Mm-hmm. Do you think Chat Roulette would have been banned? I, it was. It was on the App Store for like 10 minutes, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. And then probably one of the Apple executives opened it. <laughs> that was that. Oh, no, no. Uh, oops. <laughs> yeah, it's on the springboard. It just says dicks. <laughs> That's very probably nice. a very app label. Uh, we're, we're way off track here. I don't know what happened to us. Have you ever had to, um, like, I, and I don't know, yeah, I want to channel that away from the work topic, but have you ever had to... Um, like review or analyze apps just for like research and discovery sort of research and development sort of thing that are things that you'd be embarrassed to have people see on your phone. I have entire folders of things that I'd be embarrassed <laughs> to have people see on my phone. <laughs> I think maybe embarrassed is the wrong word because I'm me, but I think normal people would be embarrassed. I mean, I I use the dating apps that people use or I at least have them. So, uh I I guess mildly embarrassed but not I mean, I'll talk about it on a podcast. 
<laughs> it's not can't that be, embarrassed. Can't be that embarrassed. I I would like to download them and use them, but I haven't had time. We had somebody else actually download and review a ton of them last week for us. Um, so I missed that opportunity, but I'm interested in looking at them. I wouldn't be embarrassed if they were there. I was very against Tinder when it first came out because the idea of, of just looking at a picture and having no other context or information about a person seems like a poor way to judge whether or not you want to go out with them. Although I realize that's kind of what you do in a bar before you walk up and say hello. So you start a conversation, I guess, via Tinder. But now what I think is uh, there's never been... Technology has made it so fast and easy to objectify other human beings. It's massively convenient. <laughs> But I think it really is like what you would do in a bar simplified. So unlike something like an OK Cupid or a match or any heart, like any of that shit, it's uh, you, you, you like the picture, you say hi. And if the conversation turns into uh, a good conversation, then you can go grab a drink or whatever. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, human senses do work at different ranges. You first see somebody before you talk to them, before mm-hmm. there's any pheromones exchanging back and forth. You see somebody and that's going to be your preliminary judgment right there. And as much as they say, yeah. don't judge a book by the cover, the cover is on the outside. It's the first judgment you will always make. Yeah, uh, there's a reason they spend so much time and effort designing covers for books. And the reason we have all these different industries towards personal grooming and clothing. And It's funny you say that the, di- the senses are different. Uh, ranges because it occurs to me that if the first thing you notice about somebody is the way they smell then they're probably at one end of the spectrum or the other it's going to be a really good smell or a really bad smell (laughs) yes you never say about a person the first thing i noticed about him was he smelled average or it would be something that you remembered (laughs) like it would be a a smell that was significant to you for some point in your life like you know one of your parents colognes or an old boyfriend or girlfriend's colognes yeah, something yeah. with a strong something, memory. Yeah, and they say that scent has the strongest connection to memory, and we don't have a, a vocabulary for scent itself. Uh, so it it stands to reason that that you would only pick out a smell if it was either incredibly strong or evoked some memory for you. And it's one of those things that Hollywood has not been able to replicate. Like we have three D movies and seven point one surround sound, and smellovision never took off. So it probably well, they, <laughs> that's true. There have been companies that have tried. Like the technology exists, but nobody wants it. No, it should indicate how pr- sort of primal, maybe or important it is as a sense that we don't want it in our movies. Well, we also don't get flavor. That would be. I don't know how they would even smell. I understand. It's just. I think that there's there's got to be a sense of accuracy to it though too. I mean, it's like they if if you guys been to like Disney, one of the Disney, they have the flying over California yeah. experience, which has like some fragrance that happens and some wind, oranges. like you know breezes and stuff. Yeah, the oranges and you know, I mean, like there's an accuracy there that's nice, but like then there's the pine tree part where it just kind of smells like one of those Christmas trees that you hang in your car. <laughs> Even and the oranges smell like, like Yes, you know, so there's sort of a disconnect and until that's perfected to a more natural um, sort of reality, it seems like, yeah, it's kind of, it's more of an impedance than, um, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like to smell that little Christmas tree when I'm flying through California. Well, they say that, they say, it's true that scent doesn't have its own vocabulary, and the the thought, I guess, is that the reason it doesn't have its own vocabulary is because of how strongly it's tied to other senses. And so we describe it the way we would describe a flavor or we describe it the way we see things or we just compare it to the object. I think that maybe it's it's because scent is so complex compared to our other senses. I had a Perhaps. colleague at my old job whose um, sense of smell was destroyed by working with chemicals so much. And yeah. yeah, he said it was a very strange existence. And he would literally pour 
cups full of ketchup on top of every food that he ate, trying to give it some sort of flavor, and it just totally wrecked his ability to enjoy those things. Oh, that would be hell. Yeah. It would be. No sense of taste would be the worst. Might as Oof. well be in the Matrix. If you, yeah. had, if you had to lose a sense, which sense would you give up? I don't like this game. <laughs> I guess I don't feeling, want to lose I'm an artist and I, I still want to taste things. I know. I want to taste things. I want to smell things. And those are related. And then touch. Like if you can't feel something with your, you know, touch. Like that's an amazing sense. And sight and, and hearing. Come we on. like them all. Yeah, I want them all. All well, or nothing. A, there's other human senses. I'll give up my spider <laughs> sense, Dave. Empathy, balance. Well, I'm direction. thinking like your your senses, like when we were talking like about... Like the five primal senses. Propriety. Right, 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 give up my right. sense of propriety. <laughs> give up my sense of uh, self-worth. <laughs> Done. I don't, I th- I'd probably go with taste. I'd probably give up taste. As long as I can still smell things. Uh, I don't know. Why? I don't like food that much. It'd probably be good for me. I'd probably eat better. Yeah, I was going to say most of us would probably eat a little better because it doesn't matter what you ate. Or you could finally mm-hmm. eat, drink coffee, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would take the opportunity to start eating things that were way healthier since I wouldn't be able to tell the difference anyway. Yeah. At that point, it's just a series of textures going into my face. Exactly. Ooh, it's so weird, though. And smells. Smells still going to work. Well, the texture yeah. thing is interesting because uh, I can eat things like shrimp and, and lobster, but I don't like them because of the texture. And I think if the flavor was gone and all I had was textures, I might find foods Ugh. that I don't enjoy. I, I might not eat as many foods because the texture would be so primal to the experience. Yeah, it would be weird. I do find that even now, foods, some of the foods that I do enjoy, a big part of it is the texture. Maybe textures that I shouldn't enjoy. Like tapioca pudding. Yeah, tapioca pudding's neat. Or bubble tea. I like it. <laughs> yeah, there's like stuff going on. I don't quite understand it, but it's fun. It's good. I, I am, I'm, I'm in on that one. And not even in a gross way. But that's like, interesting no. how powerful your brain is because you can have that sensation of something and then if it triggers the wrong thought, you'll almost start retching and triggers the right thought, it'll just go straight down. Well, that's exactly my problem. Where I can eat just about anything. The... the the, the act of, of putting it into my body is not the part that freaks me out or grosses me out or puts me off to any foods. It's, I could be eating, I don't know, my favorite thing. Let's say uh, uh, the best hamburger I've ever had in my life. I could be halfway into the best hamburger I've ever had and see a spider across the room. I'm done. I can't eat. I'm put off to food. So when I was a kid, my father took me, uh, my father worked in a lot of Japanese companies and we went to Asia a couple times. And my father ate very little because as a kid uh, growing up in South Africa, he had farm animals in the backyard and he made them into friends and into pets and eventually ended up on the dinner table. And it caused all sorts of, yeah, he just stopped eating everything at that point. And my sister's really similar, but I, and when I was a little kid and my father, he expressly wanted me to try everything because he didn't want me to end up like him. So I was being given things that I almost thought was horrific as a child like you know like a whole shrimp on the plate and different kinds of flash fried fish and things and i just learned uh. to go into a fugue state where i don't even <laughs> think about it i would just eat stuff and try my best to be you know in my happy place at the same time interesting Ugh. snake snake and stuff is interesting yeah i'm not i'm not going to do any of that if i if i could i mean i i could and i've seriously considered vegetarian I think I could do it. I would miss things, though. I'd miss a, I'd miss a burger. 
See, I know a lot. Actually, this is interesting. I know a lot of people who are vegetarian, but mostly to them, that just means sugar and carbohydrates. So it's like French fries and candy. Um, yeah. All, all the like crappy fake food meats, too. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Like vegan pepperoni. I, I know some of, of those people, too. Yeah. It's like, yeah. There's a Thai restaurant here with a vegetarian menu said all meats prepared with tofu. Like, well, not really meats. No. I see what you're doing there, but I don't approve. <laughs> all meats are made from tofu. So there's just, there's no meat there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who works no. in, in a perinatal ward at a hospital, and she said it's not uncommon for women who are pregnant who've been vegetarians for a long time to just suddenly start craving burgers and steaks and things like that because their body tells them they need that sort of traditional protein. Interesting. I think I'm, because I keep having over and over the conversation about the things that I won't eat. People are always very interested in this. They're always trying to convert me or convince me that I've been thinking about things the wrong way. Or how you like your steaks cooked. <laughs> At 32 years old, I just haven't thought about doing it a different way. Nobody else has ever tried to convince me. No, no, try fish. You'll you'll be the one to talk me into it, I'm sure. Try fish, Dave. And it it it, it confuses me that people would be so interested or, or that they would care so much about whether or not I ate a fish. I think it's just a difference. And people, when one of the things about us is that we're incredibly tribal. And by tribal, it comes down to me versus you at the very end of the day. And anything sure. that is different, we want to try to make the same. Right, right. I'm thinking that maybe I'll just tell people I'm a vegetarian from now on. Just it, Because when you say vegetarian, they'll, they'll maybe ask one follow-up question. But that's pretty much going to be the end of it. But then they'll try to feed you. Every time you go to a restaurant, Dave, is there a vegetarian option? Oh, look, Dave, you can have the sautéed peas. Oh, Dave, did you manage to find something to eat? I get that now. I always had the, um, like, people always assume I'm a vegetarian, though I'm not. I, I For some know. reason, I think yeah. of you as a vegetarian. You know, it's somebody said this to me one time, because I, I made that comment. I was like, why does everybody think I'm a vegetarian all the time? And this woman said, it's because you're pale and thin. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess that vampire. does it then. <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I'm not, nor have I ever been. I did used to eat mostly vegetarian. You know what changed it for me, strangely? I, I went on a road trip one time and I tried the, um, this is disgusting and I'll acknowledge this up front, but it was I'm a excited. 72 ounce steak challenge in Amarillo, Texas. Nice. Hot. I, I did the challenge and I, I did not win the challenge, but I got 50 ounces down. Holy shit. And, um, and the sides, but you have to complete the whole thing to win. Within you barely an hour. weigh 50 ounces. Yeah, well, the, that steak was the size of my entire torso. Wow. But after that, I have, I, I now, I mean, this was several years ago. This was like 2008, I think, when I did that. And since then, I do, I crave like a steak. I always want meat sometimes. And it's crazy. I never really liked meat much before that. I didn't oppose to it. I just never prepared it at home or anything like that. Now, like, yeah, yeah woke a steak hunger. is good. Yeah, it really did. It was crazy. Yeah. I love a steak. So I could tell people I'm a vegetarian, and then when we go out to eat, I'll just order whatever I really want. Exactly. <laughs> so why do you have... Let them be confused. Why do you have vegetarian projectionism, Jamie? What is it about you? I don't know. I, I really don't know what it is. Is it? I don't know if it... I, I mean, pale, thin, I guess. I think there's just a softness to you. Like there's a, a like a kindness. A weakness? No, no, no. <laughs> You're calling me weak, Dave. I followed up soft with kind. A uh -huh. kindness about you that, squishiness that, is that what you meant no i'm kidding i don't know it, it suggests that you wouldn't want to hurt anything including animals An ethical nobility I don't know, but it's a, 
Not in, that you're frail from not getting enough protein. I'm saying that you wouldn't want to hurt anything. It's it's possible. I don't know. It is funny, though. Like, what does cause people to make such projections? I don't know. Do you guys do that to people? Do you go, well, he looks like a vegetarian or, or something yeah. like that? Do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or that girl must be. I bet she's a vegetarian. Do you have those dialogues? I make the my internal monologue is a real asshole. Like I just I make snap judgments or I make I, I categorize everything. And it's not because I see people as as easily categorized. It's that I, I, I'm trying desperately to understand the world around me, especially other people. Because you're not from here. Sometimes <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah. When he reports back to the mother planet, he wants to make sure he has an accurate <laughs> assessment of humanity well, sometimes i feel like a recovering sociopath just trying to integrate back into society is that the good one because there's psychopath and sociopath and i keep forgetting which is the good one <laughs> i don't i don't know if there's a good one a but there's a less bad psychopath. one well one's a killer and one's a ceo right psycho psychopath is the killer okay. sociopath is somebody who has no empathy <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh, nice. Well, you have tremendous empathy, Dave, because you care about the quality of things, and that usually means you care about the people who end up using them. Right. I'm just bad at thinking in those terms in the moment, Mm -hmm. I think, sometimes. So in the abstract, you you care about the empathy, but in the moment, you just want to... Well, I I can think a lot about these things later. So the way that I would judge somebody, like, oh, that uh, that person's obviously a vegetarian, or that person's obviously a, a sports fan, or I don't know, whatever it is. Later on, I will sit down and usually feel terrible about how I'm how the way I categorized them may have affected the way I treated them. But is there, and I have lots of little moments like yeah, this. Yeah, you where should I, feel like crap about that. But you're not judgmental about it. You're just categorizing <laughs> them. You're not you're not an anti-vegetite or something. No, no. And, and sometimes it's it's uh, so the the gym that I go to. I was walking out of the gym yesterday. And it occurred to me that I've never had really any interactions with the desk people other than, you know, when I walk in uh, that kind of like just a, a brief like glance and, and I had checked in on Foursquare of all things. And one of the thing, one of the, the, the tips had commented that uh, this particular gym was great because the staff was so friendly. And I'm like, I've never really known it. Like, I guess I've never really interacted with them at all. And so on my way out, I made it a point to take my, my earbuds out and say goodnight to the desk guy. And he looks at me. He, look, he like looks up from his book when he hears me say goodnight. And his face lights up and he goes, have a great night. Aww, and nice. as I'm walking out, I'm thinking to myself, how many times did I walk past that guy and say nothing before that I, I could have just with that one by saying have a good night? I could have been kinder. I could have treated him a little bit better or, or what was it that put me in that situation where I was, why did I think of him in, in a way that I could just walk past him like that? That's one of my that, that sort of favorite thing. things about you, Dave, is your self-reflection. And you, you, a lot of people say people can't change, but changing it just takes work. It takes self-reflection and it takes analysis and it takes work. And you're one of those people that is willing to do it. I don't know if I'm good at change. I'm good at acknowledging the things I suck at. No, but that's what that's that's the first step. Not to sound corny, but that really is. It's you have to be aware before you can change anything, and then you choose whether you want to shift that or not. And it does take work. Yeah. Well, now I'm making it a point. I, I haven't been since yesterday, but now whenever I go to the gym, when I walk out, I'm gonna make it a point to stop and say goodnight. Good night, good night you vegetarian. Just keep walking. <laughs> And it, it, it does make me wonder, especially living in New York, I keep running into situations where the people that I end up hanging out with aren't necessarily from my industry, our industry. I was hanging out a couple nights ago with, with a bunch of comedians. 
and uh, 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 one of them was a writer for SNL. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what I would talk to these people about. And I, I felt like here's a moment where now I'm, I'm sort of the one who does the thing that nobody's ever heard of. And I was thinking about how I felt sort of being the odd man out in that social situation versus how other people might feel around me and my friends if they're not part of our thing. I don't know. It just it gave me a different perspective. Interesting. Hmm. I'm learning. I'm trying to trying to find ways to be better. <laughs> Building a well, better Dave. As a human <laughs> That's I mean, Dave, very much um, part of our history in getting yeah. acquainted is, is identifying a lot of those things that, that I don't know, we just kind of went through um you know some of our friction points from the past and we talked about them and and i don't know i think that you've definitely it, from my perspective i think you've made some very positive changes just in the time that i've known you and um you know i'm not i'm not saying that that i don't know what i'm saying i'm saying i've noticed that I she guess, likes your new I'm taste saying. in co-hosts is what she's saying i think she, i think <laughs> she's i think what she's saying is don't stop you're not there yet <laughs> keep going it would be boring to no. be there though not fully baked. Oh, I hope I'm never yeah. there. I think I've said this on the show before. I hope I'm never there. I never want to feel like I'm done. Yeah, no. Or if I do, that's just before I die. Yeah, that's, now I see I'm worried about finishing and dying, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> hmm. Well, I can't help you with that. Not on the show, hopefully. <laughs> Other ratings would certainly be up. Uh, yeah, this is the episode where somebody dies. <laughs> oh, oh, don't don't do that, guys. I like the comedian in New York thing, though. That mean because you were in a very incestuous, not incestuous, but you were. Whenever I've seen you, at least you've been surrounded by people who do exactly what you do, and the idea of you being not only in a new city but surrounded by entirely new and different people sounds really exciting. I knew that I would never be better than what I was if I were if I were always in situations where I felt like I was recognized, and it's really easy when when you have that to end up getting to a place where you kind of you think of yourself as being a kind of celebrity. You know what I mean? Like you go to a, you go to a Mac world, you're surrounded, or you go to uh, WWDC and you're walking around the streets of San Francisco and people recognize you on the street and look up and say things. There's exactly one week out of the year where that'll ever happen to me in one specific area in one specific city. Uh, but because of things like that, and most of my my big social interactions are at things like conferences, it's really easy for me to like start buying into my own hype. Yeah, to extrapolate and, that. Yeah, and so the idea of living in San Francisco to me was really scary. I knew that that would be very bad for me. I, I I knew that it would be much healthier for me to be in a city where that was unlikely to happen, and I was far more likely to be surrounded by people who don't know me or do what I do. The opposite of the Cheers song. <laughs> yeah, I want to be where people don't know me, and I have to earn their respect. You are not well known in Cirque du Soleil circles, Dave. True, true. Maybe, maybe someday. Who knows? Well, that's the exciting things because you've attained a certain amount of success in your current field. But if you know, there's so many other things that you could that you could still achieve. A, a, I don't know what the right word for that is, but you could still there's still a lot of things that you could accomplish. Maybe right. Me as a performer, as a musician, yes. or, or as a, as whatever other kind of performer I might someday want to be, it's it's healthy for me to to get that range of experience and to meet those other people, make contacts, that kind of thing. But even uh, less selfishly. It's good for me just as a person to to be reminded what it's like to not be the popular guy at the the lunch table. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you never if you never step away from your comfort zone, you're never really going to grow. So that that's why I came to New York. That was the big reason why I came to New York. So I wanted to 
one of the big reasons I wanted to force myself to do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. And that's so much of my life is little hacks like that for like putting myself into a situation where I have to do certain things. It's why I don't buy groceries so that I will leave the house to get food. It's why I, I live in an apartment where it's more convenient for me to take the stairs than it is to mm-hmm. take an elevator. So I end up taking more stairs and that's healthier. Like lots of little things like that. It's lifestyle hacking. It's, it's forcing yourself to do, I don't know if it applies to social anxiety or not, but for me, I've always found, uh, when I started doing this line of work, I was not used to talking to people at all. It's just something I wasn't comfortable with, especially people I didn't know, but you sort of the same way you put yourself in that fugue state to eat strange foods. You sort of, Oh put yeah, yourself, absolutely. Yeah. To talk to people and you just, dive into the deep end exactly absolutely the same way i i don't know if i've ever said this on the show before but when i was when i was 18 i couldn't leave my apartment during the day because people would see me so my even taking my trash out i had to take my trash out after midnight make sure that there's nobody out there to see me take the trash out and i don't don't even know why i was just super freaked out that people would see me so my work schedule and everything was all set up to to have as minimal human contact as, as little human contact as possible and now I say that, and I say to you that it surprises me that you would that you would have ever had any trouble with that. It's uh, well, I don't know. I don't remember if you met Georgia or not. She came to Singleton for one day, but um, she's very good at this kind of stuff and dealing with social anxiety. And she has this thing where you describe it like a bubble, and the less you do, the smaller your bubble becomes. So, for example, if it's driving, you might decide I'm just not going to drive on highways anymore, and then it's not big streets, and then it's not suddenly any streets, or I'm not going to go out, and then it's it's very easy to get to the point where your bubble is so small you don't want to leave the house. So you've got to always force yourself to do exactly what you did, which is to do one step of discomfort and then another step of discomfort because that's the only way to sort of break that pattern and be out in the world again. Right. It should be a series of, and now I will. Yes. Well, now I've done this, so I can. Not, I stopped doing this and it's okay, so now I can do less, which I think is, at least for me, the natural inclination. And it's, it's easy. Like I would go the first couple of years I went to Macworld and WWDC. I didn't know anybody here. Um, I, we came, we used to cover smartphones and Apple just didn't have any smartphones. So it was an entirely new community to me. And I would remember <laughs> being in these massive rooms of developers or parties and I didn't know anybody and I would just be standing there and then slowly by you know, one by one, I started going up and talking to people. And that sort of broke me out of the rut. It seems to have worked out okay for you. So far. But I mean, like, like all these things are different. And you probably, you know, you, you can know a few people, but then suddenly you're in a room with 100 people you don't know. Or you could know those 100 people, but suddenly there's 1,000 people. Or there's levels of people. Like maybe, you know, I know the guy who developed this app, but I, I, and, you know, I'm not sitting at the table talking baseball with Phil Schiller. So there's huge variances in your comfort level and the people that you know. Right. And I, I think part of it, what makes it easy to, to do these things, to force myself in other situations, is because I know that I'll always have that safety net to go back to. Yeah. Or I mean, will at least you? For the foreseeable future. <laughs> anyway. Jamie, what do you know about Dave's safety net? <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, know Jamie. a lot, actually. No, I, I, um, I actually find it fascinating with our guests on Unprofessional, I think, are very telling um, in terms of repeat guests, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying repeat guests and within a same community for much of it. But there is a lot of branching out, and I think that's a good example of pushing outside some of those boundaries. It'd be very easy just to stick within the, the same, same small community um, yeah. all the time. But I love, I love 
as much as I love the ones of, with the folks in the community, I love also the ones that reach really far outside the, the community. And yeah. you know, we talk to these people. That, yeah, it's fascinating. I think that's a, it's a big thing for me as well. It's hard for me to break outside some of my norms as well and comfort zones. We will have those. But yeah, as far as Dave's. Hmm. For the show, the hope is that the audience wants to have a little bit of familiarity, I think. And it's good for people. I think some of the reason people tune in is to hear people that they have heard of talking about whatever random crap we're talking about that week. And so having somebody like Renee on or when Guy was on or you know, a lot of these industry people, it's it's voices that are familiar because they hear these people on other podcasts or uh, they know them from Twitter or their work. And when we do pepper in the people from outside the community, I always feel like there's there's really two shows here. One, <laughs> one is for our people and one is for the rest of the world. And it's it's sometimes tough to make the decision of, of should it be should it be one or the other. And I kind of think that what we're doing now is slowly introducing our community into the idea of an outside world. <laughs> I love it, though, because it also I mean, even for within our community, it's a different side. Like, you know, to not talk about work, it's it brings out a different side of people's personality, which to me is a much more approachable side than sometimes the work side of people. So right. I like it, that. Oh. We do it very deliberately. I, I don't know if it's deliberately the right word, but we were very conscientious with Debug, too. We did a couple shows that people would have expected us to do, like the Lauren Brichter show. and um, uh, But we also tried deliberately to get someone, like a jailbreak person on. And then we had people talk about NT or .NET because we never wanted the audience to be comfortable. We wanted, or to try to peg us in might be a better thing. We didn't want to be typed as just one kind of show so step by step we do a panel and then we do someone from a completely different background and each time it sort of gave us permission to do something a little broader and we're trying to as much as possible grow to as broad a show as we can step by step yeah and i've always felt that this show has had the potential to to be a, a larger more mass market thing and i just it, it's always the question do we want it to be is it is it for us or is it for everybody i've told that before i think this is like to me this is the I don't know what the right analogy for this is either. I'm a better analogy today, but you know, almost like the Tonight Show for the Internet generation is just a fantastic right. format and probably the most has the biggest potential of any podcast I've heard. What a nice thing to say. Yeah, thank you. Well, you guys do it. I, I think I think that's a great description of of what I I think of as being our audience is internet people, and right now it's sort of like a segment of internet people. But I kind of want all of the internet people. Yeah, <laughs> all of the internet. Like Kevin Smith. I mean, as a, as as a group, not every single one of them. No, I don't I like, like it. All I like I would it. Have, I'd be happy with that too. It's one of those things where if you grow really fast, you feel like you've lost what makes it special. But if you grow too slowly, you sort of get stuck in a rut. So you want to manage the growth. Uh, and, all, and again, the right. same thing we went back to before. You want to grow that circle step by step so it stays comfortable. You bring your – I have a background in marketing, so I apologize if I occasionally um, turn <laughs> oh, into a marketing I, sense. Bring it. I've also, I've also seen the numbers on your podcast. So please, how do you market a podcast? I'm, I'm dying to well, know. Well, just in general um, – I like to bring an audience with me step by step. So whether it's when we rebranded, we rebranded our site so many times, I don't change the logo. I want to always make sure that everyone is comfortable with step one before we go on to step two. Uh, the podcast thing is just nice because we have a huge built-in audience and we can bring them with us to new things. Uh, so that's it's really kind of a cheat. It's just we have a lot of people who read the website. So if I put a podcast on that website, I have a chance of bringing part of that audience with me. And it's the same thing I mentioned. With Debug, we deliberately started with Lauren Brichter because we thought we'd get 
get a lot of attention. And then we did Michael Jurowitz for the same reason, is that it would appeal to our base. Uh, and then we started carefully adding. I want to make it sound like we did it too. It wasn't that planned out because we had to get these people to agree to come on and we had to have some diversity. But we really wanted to make a show that we thought would appeal to the community at first and then slowly expand it so that we'd... It's very similar to Apple. You know, you want to expand your addressable markets. You have a phone, one phone, you'll always only get part of the audience. If it's only available on AT&T, there'll be some people who just can't use it or won't use it. But when you add Verizon, then suddenly you have a greater addressable audience. And that's what we wanted to do, just add people that didn't change the tone or the feel of the show, but would maybe appeal, like we had Casey Liss on to talk about .NET and we had Mikel Diacaza on to talk about Mono. And that's a big divergence from our usual, you know, iPhone, iOS developer stuff. We, we get commentary from people sometimes about, because um, the audience, as you might expect, is like primarily male nerds. And I don't, I don't mean that derisively. And, and I, as, as somebody who, who argues against the use of that word, I'll apologize for having said it. But you know what I mean. People who listen to the show will tell me that it's their wife or girlfriend's favorite podcast to listen to with them. I totally get that. And I see it too. I can see how, because we're not talking, it's if, if the guy in the relationship is really into this world and wants to listen to these people and is, is listening to this show and it happens to be on when his wife's in the room, we're not talking about the, the work stuff. We're talking about people stuff. So I can see how it would appeal to uh, both, both people in a relationship, even if one isn't necessarily steeped in this shit like we are. I think that's great. I think that's the part that makes it accessible. And what I like about this show, too, and i got to stop saying nice things about this show, but I'm going to do it one more time. No, no, don't. Don't stop. Don't <laughs> we like stop. it. We is like that, it. No, but you, it really is. You, you, I'm a huge fan, and you know this, Dave. I'm a huge fan of DVD extras, of behind-the-scenes stuff. And this show is almost like the behind-the-scenes commentary track for people that I know on the Internet and to some extent you know, celebrities that I'm familiar with in general i love that you get to peek behind the curtain and see what their interests are beyond the stuff that they just put up on the internet every day and sometimes we get extra layers of meta and you can hear us talk to those people about this show (laughs) yeah it's the with the hypercritical when syracuse is critical of his own show episode every week (laughs) <laughs> but no, that's the fascinating thing to me is that the, it puts the people behind the tech people because often it's just the tech that has primacy. No matter what they're doing, they're always commenting on some aspect. And this is more about them, what they like, what they grew up with, what they do. People. We got to hear that's your Bane voice on an it. earlier episode, Dave. <laughs> you have to go back and listen to that again. It's worth it. So worth it. So we had this text message conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was born out of a conversation that me and some other people were having where your name came up and everybody started talking about how awesome you were. <laughs> and the the weird thing was that of the group, of all people who know you, I would say, semi-well, people that would call you friend, we we could not get consensus on whether or not you were married. That is weird. I am not married. And it was it was interesting to me that that would one ever happen that it could be a, a topic of discussion but two that i also didn't really know the answer to that question i'm like i don't i don't think so yeah i think that's the same thing is that we when you in this bubble we all talk about things that are not that related to our personal lives once in a while you see someone will mention their spouse or significant other but sometimes and i, I didn't know if i was married for a long time either it's it's weird, and it got me thinking about how you you typically only know at least and maybe it's like this for people in general, but I'm gonna say within my circle of friends within this community, it, it seems to be that I only know details of people's personal lives, 
if they're sort of forced upon me, meaning I, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that if, if I, if I know something, it's, if I know they're married, it's because they mentioned their wife or they brought their wife to a thing or they brought their girlfriend to a thing. Or you had their wife on the show. Or, right. <laughs> Very rarely do I say, Oh, so are you married? Or you like, I, I would never say that. Like that seems, seems like a overly personal sometimes. Yeah. It's... Too familiar. And, and, uh, there's lots of opportunity to offend people. I mean, I'm very deliberate about not being personal on the internet and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I just always was raised and I have friends who are very concerned about their privacy. So I always try to respect that by not, um, talking about things in the real world unless they're really important. Like I had my mom review the iPhone 5c for iMore and <laughs> I just loved that idea. Like I, I would normally be very hesitant to that, but she liked it so much. I wanted to get her point of view, but I think that's the first time I've mentioned my family. Um, I, I mentioned them in passing on podcasts, but on a, on a blog post and I don't mention my friends' names. I don't mention my godchildren's names because I think that kind of stuff, I got creeped out a couple times really early on in the internet and it scared me enough to be really careful about it. Uh, see, I had a different reaction. My, th- I always assume that people are going to know everything about me anyway. So I'm just going to be the one to tell them. That's a little bit how I am. I, I mean, a little more on that side, but yeah, I don't want me the other people that like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to intrude on my friend's privacy. Sure, sure, but we've hit the point now where no matter where you shop, your credit card information is going to get stolen. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to skip the middleman. I'm putting my credit card information in as my Twitter bio. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's just get it over with. It's out there. I'm checking Charge your Twitter bio right now. I'm going to go shopping. Good luck with that. I'm also very careful not to be political. Like I, I, I don't state very many personal opinions on the internet because I feel like people are following me sort of for... This is why you're so likable. You know that there's, I think there's something to that though. I mean, I I feel I relate to that a lot, Renee. Like I I do post stuff. You know, I everybody I think knows if you know anything about me. I have kids. I'm a single mom. Like that whole thing. But like, um, I don't post like political or any religious opinions or anything like that. Like I just I'm very mindful not to do that. Um. And it's, I don't know, I think it's just that's, that is who I am, sort of, is, is mindful about those sorts of opinions. Um, interesting, though. Anyway. Oh, I'm a goddamn loudmouth. I think I figured out why you're both so likable, and, and I have struggles <laughs> with that. Yeah, well, you're, like we talked about the other day, you're, you have strong opinions that are loosely held. Like, I've seen you in, not, not change your opinions, but I've seen you evolve them considerably, even only the short amount of time I've known you. Yeah. Oh, I've certainly certainly evolved some opinions. My opinions on on guns, for example, have have changed pretty dramatically over the last even three years. There was this old Dennis Miller line back when he was still talented. Um, is that a bad thing to say? <laughs> but, uh, see, there's an opinion. But he said that the, the one thing I forget the context. It might have been about abortion or something. But he said that the one thing he hated more than any opinion on the matter was that other people felt like they had the right to dictate your opinion to you. And that's sort of how I feel. Like I I have opinions on them they're not set in stone i'm willing to learn them but i don't like being told it's like one of my pet peeves on twitter is when people tell me what i can and can't tweet about and happens fairly Mm. often i have to hold my tongue every time because i i don't care what you tweet about you tweet about your stuff i just want the ability to be able to express my opinion as well i get people i i it it tracks that i lose about half the people that follow me on twitter (laughs) in any given i use this app called bird brain which i love uh, made by Carl von Rando, where it it tracks over time who follows, who unfollows, and not because I care about 
how many people or anything, but I just, I like stats. I like numbers. I like seeing things that are real. And I also like knowing when somebody that I care about unfollows me because that's a, a type of feedback. If you're somebody that's, I would consider a close friend and you stop following me on Twitter, did I say something? Did I do something? These, these are good things for me to know. But anyway, it, it shows you over periods of time, one week, two weeks, uh, a month, uh, three months, six months, a year, two years. And it tracks that roughly for any period of time, the number of people who unfollowed me is about 50% of the people who followed me. And those, are, those aren't just the bots? No, it's uh, everybody in, in general, uh -huh. as far as I can tell. Every account that followed or unfollowed. I don't, I don't think I got a lot of those. But it's interesting to me to think that my my hypothesis, and I'm going off a sort of gut feeling and, and the types of people who unfollow and how long it takes usually to unfollow me. It seems like these are people who hear about me because of things that I've worked on or because I was on a, uh, like I was on vector. I got a bunch of followers right after that. And then some about half of them unfollowed me because I think they're expecting me to be the sort of person who's always tweeting about design. Yeah. They're expecting this thing from me. And when, when they don't, when they get me, you know, throwing out one liners, when I've had a couple of drinks at two in the morning, uh, that's not what they thought they were going to get. They, they judged I'm, you. I'm okay. And they it. got something different. Right. They were hoping to follow me for design tips or design opinions. Well, I've got, I've got a blog for some of that stuff, and I do talk about those things from time to time. But, man, the last thing I want to do on the Internet is talk about my job all the time. So you, mm -hmm. you mentioned guns, which is interesting to me. Not guns specifically, but it occurs to me that a lot of the time uh, my Canadian Quebecerness comes out. For example, our, our right-wing party in Quebec is a liberal party. That's as right-wing as you can get because the other parties are all far more socialist than them. <laughs> and you have the right to carry a gun in Quebec, but they've never issued the permit. They just put it on one desk, then on another desk, and you can go. So there's so many things about how I grew up that frames my understanding of the world. It just does not mesh with how it exists on Twitter, just in terms of diversity of opinion or preconceptions on what things might be. Right. 140 characters is not nearly enough to, to cover this sort of stuff. And the 30 seconds I'm about to use to explain it isn't really enough time to get into this stuff. But it, it basically boils down to I was very hyper-libertarian, pro-gun, and then there was just one too many shootings. And I had to take a step back and say, I am far, I, I am much more against murdering children than I am in favor of guns. And that, like, that one switch being flipped, I kind of look at the world in a different way, and I, I have to be pragmatic and say... In, in a utopian society where we could all behave, we could all have guns that we could, you know, have sitting around in case we someday felt like we needed them. But that's not what usually ends up happening. My two cents, for whatever they're worth, and I say this as someone who spent years learning to fight with knives, and I did combat handgunning sort of Masad Ayub style when I was younger. <laughs> and well, that's a whole thing. Like there, there's, I won't get into it, but there is, there is combat handgunning and stuff. <laughs> and I learned that as a, as, not as a child, but in my teens and my 20s, I did personal protection training and, and a lot of self-defense stuff. And I, You're hardcore. I came to determine that, you know, guns are killing things. Like a knife, you can, some of the best knife fighters I know are people who are trained in Chinese or other Asian restaurants just because they learn to cut muscle and bone all day, every day. They're phenomenal. But those are tools that you can use, and one of the things you can use them for is killing, where a gun's only purpose is to kill. It has no other uh, see, purpose. See, I disagree. I do disagree on that point. Uh, the the non-lethal purpose of a gun is sport. Well, I guess target target shooting, maybe. Target shooting, trap shooting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's a far way to go. For like, you're you're representing the skill needed to kill something with that. I don't know. The the Olympics uses them. Yeah, the, bi the biathlon. 
there's there's Olympic events. There there's like all sorts of. And I'm not saying that that um, in and of itself is enough. But I I'm going to say that just because we may not be into that sport does not reduce its its legitimacy. Sure. I worry more about sec. Like I don't want to ever be someone's uh, unintentional target. Like so. I, I, I like I. I oh, of course. It'd be a nice world if everyone had significant training who carried a gun. Like if you if you passed a combat handgun in course, I'd feel much safer than just someone. You know, you have to get a license to ride a car, and I'm still scared of people on the streets. Yeah. yeah before I would even uh, p- purchase a gun, I made it a point to go and do training, like real training. Um, and and as soon as I did, as soon as I got my certification to show that I I was confident with a handgun, then I was willing to purchase a gun. But I've I I've been accidentally shot at by people who were supposed to be far better trained than I am. Namely, a police officer. <laughs> the day that I was moving to New York City, I'm, I'm packing up the truck in Denver, and I'm about to close the door after I moved in the last piece of furniture, and shots are fired <laughs> from across the street in my direction. <laughs> By a police officer. Ouch. Yeah, um, it's scary. And these things, they, it, I, my stance on this had changed before. I was accidentally shot at by a cop, but my, I, it, it's it's so nuanced, it's so delicate, and it's so complicated. But I have to err on the side of what's better for the humans. Yeah, seeing as how I'm one of them. <laughs> well, we've had significant for Quebec because we're not a very populous pilot populous province we've had three or four major school shootings uh, far beyond the amount that we should have per capita uh, and we also have really high gun control laws here so it's it's i mean it's, it's an incredibly nuanced issue incredibly hard you can't uninvent things you can't uninvent nuclear bombs you can't uninvent hellfire systems on you know on, on guns right these things exist and what do you do what do you do to foster intellectual unpolitical conversation about what's good and what's bad because right now, at least in this country, we've got a real problem with you can't talk about guns being bad without being labeled a liberal. And you can't talk about guns being good without being labeled a conservative. And either way, the other side sees you as a nut job. And so for somebody like me who sits in the middle as like I kind of optimistically would see it this way. But in the real world, it's more like this. There's no good way for me to be involved in a conversation about these issues at any real level without somebody attacking we're not mature enough as a species to have that discussion yet. I think, at least not in North America. It's just there. Pol- politics has been turned into such a sideshow, such a spectacle. Um, and I think that in general, like we have these elections almost at random where I live, and ninety percent of the time the civil service doesn't change. So the people who are actually running the province, there's no difference depending on who you vote for. But everyone gets so split up, and they get to they get to control you almost by letting you think you have a choice. And I don't want to get paranoid about this but it almost reminds me of the gladiatorial combat where political parties exist to distract and entertain people so that we don't pay too much attention to what's actually happening so if you get really right. emotional about the gun issue uh, they can quietly do a lot of stuff in the background that you're not even paying attention to do exactly exactly and the the thing about guns or uh reproductive rights or health care all of these things are things that we are not the entirety of the world's sample data. There are other countries who have done things differently than us, and we can look to them as examples of how things might work here, but we never do. We never look to other countries with uh, regards to drug laws to see how things might work out. It's really easy to point to how things work in parts of uh, Central or South America where things are very poorly 
maintained mm-hmm. at a political level and say, well, their laws are like this, so that's a bad thing. But the where it's more analogous to the U.S., a country like the Netherlands, which has legalized marijuana, um, they don't have a serious problem with it. But we never look at that in the arguments over over drugs in our country. We never look at that data and try to learn anything from it. Yeah, we program against the worst of us instead of trying to attain the best of us. And then you see things like Colorado and Washington legalizing marijuana, and so far everything's okay. The world has not ended. Then you ask them if they want to delegalize alcohol. You know, you might as well beating them in the head with a crowbar. We have such different perceptions <laughs> on mind-altering substances. Yeah, God has not struck down anybody over this whole marijuana. <laughs> well, other than maybe Fred Phelps. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me when we put large groups of people, even small groups of people together, how rapidly we can lose our minds. This is why I gravitate towards data. I gravitate towards things that I can understand. When it comes to the, the things that are difficult to understand, I want to watch YouTube videos that tell me what the science is so that I can know the science and not just have my opinion, but know to the best of our understanding what is actually happening. My favorite YouTube show right now is healthcare triage. Have you seen any of these? I keep linking to them on Twitter, have but have you seen any of these? It's uh, it's this doctor who, who spends a few minutes each episode talking about one healthcare related thing. Like the one this week was about, Hey, Let's stop talking about how milk does a body good and giving all this milk to our children because it turns out it's really, really fucking bad for you. He doesn't uh, drop the F-bomb, but he's, he's very like impassioned. And he, he says, here's the breakdown. And he goes through it step by step. Here's all the studies that have been done. Here's, here's what the data says, and here's what that data tells us. And here's why we can make this conclusion that it's okay to have some milk because I think he even says an Oreo without milk is practically a sin. But giving so much milk giving the amounts of milk to your children that we do is causing things like intestinal bleeding that can kill children because we were not, our bodies were not made to drink this stuff. And the other, one of the other ones he did was all about how uh, sugar doesn't make kids hyper. (laughs) And he goes through all the studies and he's like, look, I get it. You or, or somebody, you know, is a parent and you could swear that it does make your kid hyper. I'm telling you it doesn't. And here's the science, here's the data to back that up. I love stuff like that. I was sent to an anti-sugar doctor as a child because my teacher swore it was making me hyper. (laughs) And uh, do you have sugar now? Uh, I tried to eat as little, I try to eat as little refined stuff as I can. Like I'm not crazy about it, but I do try to pick as natural stuff as I can now. So I have unrefined. Also growing up in South Africa, you would get like a branch from a sugar cane and just chew on that. And that was the kind of sugar treat that you'd get. And here everything is incredibly processed. So I try to stick with natural stuff if I can. Actually, come to think of it, healthcare triage is why Faith doesn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> I'm serious. I, uh, I linked to an episode about, um, I think it was genetically modified foods. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that always reminds me of that Jurassic Park line where he says, we're doing things so fast we never stop to see whether we should or not. And I'm not against it. I just think that, you know, a lot of the stuff we do do so quickly that we don't do any, we don't have long-term studies on a lot of it. And I don't know that it's bad for me, but I'd like to have more data on it. Yeah, I had... Uh yeah, I, I don't want to go down that path. It's going to get ugly. <laughs> not not for us, but it's it gets into ugly like stories. Carl Sagan, like uh, sorry, like Cosmos Ugly. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure what you well, mean. Well, that TV show I just started watching it. That, that new TV show with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he's yeah, trying to yeah. show the virtues of science, and people are really upset at it. Oh yeah, freaking out over creationism and yeah. yeah, it used to be on. That was like a, yeah, they brought it back 
he brought it back. Yeah, it used to be Carl Sagan, and now it's back yep, with Neil deGrasse exactly. Tyson. These people, man, these people who think that the Earth is 6,000 years old, they're the ones who scare I me. I have nothing against, I mean, if you look at human history as a tautology, there were people who believed in Odin and Thor, and people who believed in Zeus and Heracles, and people who believe very deeply in things. I just wish that you could believe deeply in your things while allowing everyone else to believe deeply in their things. That's exactly my perspective. That is exactly, like, it, yeah, I don't think we have to, you know, have wars and shit over you know, your beliefs are wrong. Like, Neil deGrasse really, Tyson is not picketing the Noah movie. Exactly. He's just <laughs> he's just stating his case. Like, here's a perspective. Did you ever consider this? And, you know, yeah. Like, why can't we just have open dialogue? I mean, it really kind of harkens back to what you were saying, Dave. Like, if you believe one thing or another, people assume you're either, you know, really conservative or really liberal. And you can't just have a conversation sometimes about these things and say, like, well, here's a perspective. Did you ever consider this? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I believe this. And, you know, can't we just have a healthy dialogue about it? Speaking of picketing, Fred Phelps died recently. Mm. Right. A few days ago. Did anybody picket his funeral? <laughs> I hope not. I didn't hear anything about this. So I'm assuming no. No, that's, yeah, if. If you can pick at a funeral, the list of things that I would like you to do first is going to be extreme. Yeah, my, well, I mean, his whole thing was picketing funerals of, of like, war veterans and things like really? that. With the God hates fag signs. Oh, God. That, yeah, the Westboro Baptist Church, like, that was the thing. That I don't know about this makes me both happy and sad. I know, I, oh. I feel right there with you. I, he, oh, he, that he, explains the lack of reaction from you guys. I thought yeah, he was an so actor. Fred I was just going to go with it. No, no, no. Fred Phelps was a minister at Westboro Baptist oh. Church, and his his whole thing was the uh, was God hates fags. They've they've picketed everything from uh, war hero funerals to San Diego Comic Con. And this is why you're such a likable guy, Renee. No, so the thing is, to me, that if you if you feel that violently about something, you should really examine the root causes that may have nothing to do with it. That <laughs> why you feel that way. Like that, there's nothing that I would there's nothing that i feel that violently about <laughs> it seems like a waste of good energy to me it does i mean there's so many it productive does. things you could do with that energy right this guy just yes. he spent his life spreading hate incredibly Way to sad go, guy. my my point was that it, it says something i'm hoping that nobody picketed his funeral because if it was picket free that says something about how uh the other side of these issues felt about him People are damaged. Yeah, don't even bother. Like, why waste the energy with that? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the point, that you're not going to see atheists out there picketing this guy's funeral. Yeah, there are crazy people, and there are people who will follow them, and it's very sad. And we're I always think that people are, in some ways, the sum of their damage, and sometimes that damage is so severe that it just becomes toxic. Well, you know who else was crazy and had people following him? Who's that? 